Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Mike Thorne is the chairman at the Vistage Peer Advisory Group, a safe forum for business leaders to work out issues and explore opportunities. Guided by his mission, vision, and business experience, Mike's superpower is the ability to elevate business leaders so they can further their success. His mission is to restore human dignity and unleash greatness in people and create a world where people recognize that they are worthy of self-esteem and are celebrated for exactly who they are. After being let go from his dream job as a young professional, Mike had to face many hard truths about himself. Working through his fear of abandonment, Mike became a strong leader who helps others see their own potential. Mike is a triathlete, Ironman competitor, and self-driven leader who believes life is a team sport. Mike, welcome to the One Away Show. Thank you, Brian. Excited to be here and look forward to talking to you. Yes, and for those uh, that don't know Mike, uh, Mike and I met last year Right around this time, uh, in first week in November, I'll never forget. Uh, just yep. an interesting time of life, and so uh, it's like the one year anniversary. And uh, he had listened to a podcast or two, and reached out off an article, and we are here. So, Mike, it's been an honor to get to know you. You're a stand up guy, and I know today is going to be great. Uh, what is the one away moment that you want to share with us today? I, I have lots of times in my life that things transform, but I, if I had to pick one, I would say it was November, I'm sorry, December 19, 2005, late morning. I was called into our, my boss's office, and he told me my job was eliminated as president of Russell Athletic Team Sports and to go see HR. And that was it. Okay. Just start us out with the dagger here. Um, yeah. Must have been extremely defeating and shocking and traumatic give the audience and me uh, some perspective now uh, what how long were you with Russell you know what were some of your main roles did you see this coming I mean I would love some context yeah so Russell's was uh, about a 1.5 billion dollar corporation they were involved in many businesses apparel being the biggest one they had acquired a company called Spalding Sports about a year before, a year and a half, two years before I took this job. And I've been working as VP of sales at Spalding Sports for about a year. And John Letzler, who was the chief operating officer of Russell Athletic, called me in the office one day. He was in Georgia. I was in Massachusetts. And he said to me, I really love what I see out of you. And he goes, I'm going to create a position called president of Russell Athletic Team Sports. And you're the right guy to take it on. It was about $120 million business at the time. And I said, John, I have no idea how to run a company. I have no idea how to run a business, manufacturing operations. I appreciate the opportunity, but I'll rather just stay here. I love living in Massachusetts where I was born. I love being VP of sales. I love the team we had, love the people I work with. And uh, in essence, he made us... Uh, to the point there wasn't a lot of choices. It was either you're going to go do this because we need you to go do this because the team sports division was the most high profile division within the corporation. And the feeling was 
we need to get this thing turned around and head in the right direction. He thought I was the right guy to do it. So I literally, the short story was I flew down there to interview, which they asked me to go do. They asked me what I want to get paid for the job and for the audience out here, don't do what I did. I gave the corporate answer, which was, uh, you pay me whatever you think this job is worth and I'll do it. All I asked for was that my family was taken care of and uh, if something wasn't to work out because the business was troubled, that they would take care of my family because we didn't want to move. And so we made the move. My daughters were uh, eighth, sixth, and fourth grade at the time, not super happy or oldest to move, but my wife knew that sports and a job like this was my dream job. So we did it. Wow. You know, uh, Mike, I am just blown away. You know, we sometimes you're put in, you know, positions of leadership and you don't understand maybe why or what people see in you to say you are the guy to, you know, be, be in charge. And so, you know, you said that he said to you, you know, you're the guy to do it. And maybe, and I know it maybe didn't have the end outcome maybe you were expecting because of the way you kind of started the call, but what was it do you think about you in particular where he saw the value and saying, you know what, Mike, Mike can really be someone to lead and take such an ownership. He said it was a, you know, hundred million dollar plus line of the company. You know, why you, Mike, what, what did, what do you think you saw? It's an interesting question because I was two, I was 41 at the time and probably, and I did not have the self-awareness to even think about those things, but I did talk to John a few months back about the situation. And he just said to me, he said, I could tell you had the tenacity, the drive, and what I refer to as intellectual curiosity to take on a role like this and rally the troops. And that was sort of his feeling as he felt I could really rally the troops to start thinking about a different way, a way to reimagine the business versus the way it had been done. And because there were a lot of legacy people working there, he felt he needed someone with some fresh eyes to go in there. And I'm not sure exactly what he observed that year other than that. That's what he felt he needed. And he said to me that I'm going to send you to the Wharton School of Business to learn how to be a CEO. So you'll be trained when you go into this role, which is a hard thing to do when you get training in four weeks at uh, Wharton School of Business, I got to tell you. But I, I took the idea and said, sounds great. Let's do it. So. <laughs> Wow. So, so, so you went to Wharton for four weeks. You had sounds like you had four weeks of military training uh, to become a CEO and uh, of a division and, and kind of went head first. So I would love to ask you a little bit more about the Wharton there. If there's any ways to like tie that in, I'd love that. But um, I'm just, I'm more curious about this job, you know, from what you were thrusted into. Right. Uh, and it's probably another reason that you and our mutual friend, Steven now, get along so well. He probably has a lot of admiration for your path. I'm curious though, Mike, um, when you took over this role, you said that I wasn't qualified. I wasn't ready. You know, there was a bit of, you know, I, can, I don't know if I can do this well. You know, when you look back on this experience, and I know you've had a, a, a very beautiful career, in my opinion, I've had a lot of impact on others, but in this, this experience particularly, what were some of the learning lessons, you know, that you have taken with you through the rest of your career and, and why did it not work out? Well, first and foremost, if you were to look at my life story, I, I would say I spent most of my life trying to prove that I was worthy. And I think it stems from being put up for adoption at birth and 
you know, learning at age nine that I was adopted and I just didn't feel like I belonged. And I also felt like if I ever stepped out of line and wasn't perfect, I'd be abandoned and I didn't trust very easily. So if you look at my career arc, even through college, when I had a successful baseball career, was the captain, my uh, career in business was pretty much, you know, from sales to the key account and so on. So I had a successful client, but I realized when this happened, I started to over time to start to figure out like what went wrong. And I realized the one thing is that life is a team sport. And because I was so focused on proving people wrong and trying to belong that I was trying to do it all myself. And I thought I could just muscle my way through it because that had been working for me my whole life. But when you're running a business like this with a lot of complexity and you have a lot of people that you're accountable to, you have to step back and ask yourself, you know, how do I have the team get aligned with me and go on the journey with me? Because if you don't, they comply with you, but they're not committed to you into the, into the destiny you're trying to take them. That was a very, very, very hard and painful lesson for me. And so the big takeaway for me was I'm going to have to pay a lot more attention about that. And I think the blessing out of all this was I was told at that time, which was hard to hear, but I reached out to people because I believe in this idea of trust communities. And there were some people I reached out to that I knew would give me honest feedback and I wouldn't take it in any way other than it was to help me. And that was, Mike, you, your emotional intelligence wasn't where it needs to be to be a president of a business. Uh, your capacity to handle the issues in a non-emotional way wasn't there. And so there was just feedback like that that was super, super hard to hear. It was like getting hit by a two by four. And I had to process that quite a bit because that's the first time I've ever really failed, I guess you could call failing, and it hurt. And because I have this abandonment issue that always crops up and I get my nine-year-old coming back at me in this lack of trust, I think it really was super painful to have to acknowledge the fact that I failed, but people still cared about me and wanted to see me be successful. On the flip side of this, the other feedback I got from people in the organization was that what they were going to miss from the leadership was the personal work I did to help them play a bigger game of life. Mm. And I didn't realize how important and powerful that was. I did it very naturally because I needed it. I valued that in myself and people did that for me. So as a leader, I was so focused on delivering the financial obligations, the operational commitments we had, very goal-oriented. And although I knew I had to get people to come with me, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand the power of all that because I was so focused on people just doing what I needed them to go do to deliver the results. So on the one hand, very difficult to hear the pain of the things that probably caused me to, although they said the job's limited, let's face it, I got fired. And part of that was the way I behaved and performed, obviously, although that never got said. And so that was painful because that the first time that really ever happened. And to go back and to my house and tell my wife and my kids what happened was extremely hard. But the fact that they still loved me and still cared about me and supported me was really the transition time for me to realize that life isn't a straight line to team sport. And it's time to think about how you adapt and transform going forward. Wow. Mike. That is so humbling to hear, you know, I love what you said about life being a team sport, right? Yet you connected, you know, you maybe perhaps losing this role of a major business 
uh, due to the fact of your abandonment growing up and, you know, trying to prove your worthiness, uh, I mean, incredibly insightful, right? Because it was clearly shaping your behavior and decisions. The question I have for you, like, were you consciously aware of how maybe these abandonment triggers were showing up in your family or your job uh, at the time? No, I didn't know exactly what it was. Um, it was really the first time that I had to address, like I said, for the longest time, my whole life, I've, able, I've been able to just get through every different stage and transformation. So when you get promoted through your career and all the people come and try to hire you, it reinforces that the way you're going about things is the right way to go. And same thing in your marriage, you know, in your, in your marriage, if your spouse or people close to you don't address things with you and they just let you continue to behave the way you are, then you, then you believe that what you're doing is absolutely the appropriate thing to go do. Mm. And because I was so afraid of making a mistake, the sort of perfection thing, which is very common in people who have been adopted, this fear that if you ever stray off perfectionism, people are going to value you less or they'll just abandon you is, re is real. It was for me. It may not be for everybody adopted, but it is a real thing. And so I didn't understand at the time. And I was just very blessed that the next step I took was a risky one, but it ended up transforming my life where I was able to meet with people and talk to people that got me there. I can get into that if you want, but I had to really get to another phase in my career and hang and be with the right people around me to help me start to understand what was actually driving, what was underneath the, mm -hmm. the behavior. Because sometimes you deal with the symptoms, not the disease. And I had to really yeah. deal with it. So it sounds like you built this maybe idea of a personal trust community without even knowing it to get to the root of these behaviors. I would, you know, for the audience listening, because this was, seems like it's been so impactful in every area of your life. How did you know to maybe go about building that personal board of advisors, those people around you who could really steer you and not just treat the symptom, but then actually get to the root of the disease? What was that process for you? Well, when you go through something, I'll describe it as traumatic. It was for me when you lose your job, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating. And what I realized though, that I, all my career and my life, I have, I was a very good connector. So I have a lot of people in my quote network, but I realized many of those people it was very transactional or it was on a need, on a needed basis, so to speak, somebody will help you out. If you need them, you do it for the same for them, but it wasn't deep. Yet when I went through this process, there were three, four, five, six, you know, eight people in my business life that reached out to me that I've known. And they, they were just so supportive emotionally, but they also tried to help me transition from a business standpoint and really think my way through things. Um, and that, those are the people I was like, wow, these people really view this relationship very, very different. And I started to ask myself, am I surrounding myself with the kind of people that can help me be a better human being, along with a better business leader, a better father, a better husband, better son, or am I just from people that could help me get ahead in life? And that was really uh, something I had to really wrestle with in that four or five month period when I left Russell and before I went to Yankee Candle. And so I was able to, during that time frame, start getting connected with people that I had known for a long time I just didn't realize the difference between the people that were going to be there for you no matter what 
versus the people that were there for you on a needed basis, whether you needed them or they needed you. Mm. And to me, that was the first time I started saying, boy, I got to really start thinking about this trust community of people. And I started to frame it up in my head and mind at that time and really realize that there's going to be some people in my life that I'm going to need and I'm going to want to help them all along. And they're there for the right reasons. And that's how I started building it. So that's been 15, 16 years in the making. Mike, you know, to hear, you know, where you are today and then 15 years ago, where you, you know, it sounds like really had to dive into your past. I mean, and that, that's a very painful experience, mm-hmm. um, especially at the root level. Right. Uh, and not just through behavioral symptom fixes. Um, what, was there anyone, I'm just curious, and then, you know, was there anyone along this journey as you built, were building your own, let's just say personal trust community, which we'll touch on later, uh, that, that, that helped you realize, you know, things and create insights or any moments during this personal journey that you went down for yourself that just really stand out, you know, conversations or individuals, specific experiences. I'm just curious kind of what that process for you is getting to the root of, you know, with these individuals who, who are helping you. Right. So the first step was for me to take a very, very hard look about the kind of company I wanted to work with and and the people I wanted to work for. That was a really important step. And so Russell owned several brands, as I mentioned earlier, and I could have probably gone back and worked on a different division. I was offered an opportunity to do that. That would have been on one hand, the safe route. My wife would have loved for me to have done that. But I realized that who I work for and the purpose of the company and the people and all that really were going to matter going forward if I was ever going to transform as a kind of human that I felt I needed to be based on the work I had done uh, from the feedback I got. So that was a really, really important step because going to Yankee Candle where I had no experience or understanding of an industry and taking on a business that was three times bigger and working for people that had been very, very successful and high-end branded performance-oriented companies, but also very caring human beings Mm. was a big deal. And so I was patiently waiting for that to play out. And fortunately for me, it did. And so when I went to go work for them, that was the first major thing I did because it would force me to really take a hard look at who I was because I was now operating in in a industry that obviously emotional connections in the candle home fragrance space is really essential. And in the sporting space, it was more about win-lose and just rough and tumble guys kind of attacking the business, so to speak. So that was step one. Step two was about a year into my role, a lady named Doran Exford, who I had met when I started. She was director of learning development. She changed my life in so many ways. She came to my office and said, have you got a minute? And I said, yes. And she said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. She said, which do you want to hear first? And I said, well, I'll take the good news. And she said, well, in your short time here, I would say the group of people here think you're a very approachable executive and probably one of the most approachable one-on-one leaders we have here. So you've done a very good job from that perspective. So, okay, what's the bad news? She said, your standards are way too high. Now, from someone who's an athlete working in the sports industry, and my whole life was really geared towards that industry, that was really an interesting insight. The short part of that was that she said to me, she said, Mike, do you remember on your birthday in September, your team gave me this beautiful 
you know, frame picture it was a boat out in the middle of the lake and it was just sitting on the lake. It was very pretty. And it was something about teamwork. And I said, yep. And she said, they joked that they gave this to you because they know they're on a journey. And I know you want them to come on this journey with you, but they don't know how they're going to get there and whether they can actually do what you need them to go do. And I said, why is that? And she said, because they don't know that they can actually achieve what you want them to achieve. They said, you're going to have, she said, you're going to have to figure out how to be more vulnerable. Mm. Now this is back in 2007 ish, 2008, probably. And that word was not as prominent as it is today. But in essence, she said to me in the couple hours we had, she said, just start walking the floor on Mondays and Fridays, telling people about your weekend, letting them know some funny stories that might have happened about your daughters or you or something. Just let them get some insight into your life. And Brian, from that moment on, just doing that in slow you know, pieces and getting used to that and meeting with groups and talking, it, it really gave people more comfort level around me. And they moved from being compliant to what I needed to do and what we need to do as a business to being committed because they understood the journey and they felt comfortable and started trusting me as a human being. Un unbelievable. It didn't happen overnight, but it was an unbelievable step for me that really started me on a journey of starting to let go. Mm. And uh, she had other things down the road that she worked me on, but she was a game changer for sure. She definitely is still in my trust when I talked to her today. Mm. Mike, it's, uh, I think really rewarding for me to, I mean, just, I, I try not to talk much during this. I had a similar conversation with Rick, who you also know, and he said something to me this summer and he's like, you need to be more present with your team and like check in and like see how they're doing. And it's com completely similar to you. It's completely changed the maybe dynamic and the connection that I've been able to have with the team. And like when you're running, I mean, at a corporate level, inky candle, big division, and you're, you know, a lot of responsibility, like, it seems like for the first time, you know, you really started to let people in to your world. And then also, you know, you were starting to get feedback, yeah, maybe much earlier in the process, opposed to at the end when it was too late. And it, it sounds like just those conversations that you started having with the team really um, were able to help the companies, like you said, be committed. Um, what, you know, from a tangible perspective or that commitment level, when you started um, seeking advice and, and then also building that kind of community internally at the business. What what were some of the things that you started to notice that changed in a very tangible way, whether that was, you can speak to the numbers or you could speak to the camaraderie and the culture. I'm just curious what you saw. Yeah, there was a gentleman that worked for me and he was responsible for a, a tremendous amount of our ability to execute and deliver the financial obligations we had. So we were a public company and then owned by private equity. And he didn't have the same passion or drive that I did to deliver on those results and didn't always appreciate why we had to deliver on them. To him, it was like, hey, we, we didn't ship it out. Not a big deal. We'll get it next month. And he and I ended up having a very heart to heart conversation. And I went back to some of the work I had done on myself during this time, which was just tell me your story, which I always loved was tell me your story. And I learned so much about him personally. And I realized that he had grown up in an environment where he did not have a lot of support. His dad was much older, died when he was very young. His brothers are much older. So he didn't have that father figure in his life. And unbeknownst to me, he found, he found that in me, he thought that I was someone that could deliver that for him. And he felt 
the way I was raising my kids and the way I was dealing with stuff was something he admired. And I did not know that. Well, over time, we started to learn more and more about each other. And what I noticed, which is the answer to your question, was I used to have to really push and fight to get the numbers out and the stuff shipped. He was a very, very big Tom Brady fan. And I could now walk into his office. I could just knock on the door and say, hey, it's Brady time. I no longer had to spend two hours explaining why it's so important. He just knew what that meant. And he did whatever he could to get it out. I didn't have to worry about whether he was going to do it. And after seven years of the company and I was transitioned to a new division, he said to me, because, you know, Mike, before you came here, we always kicked the field goals. He said, but since you've been here, we go for the touchdowns. I want to thank you for that. Wow. You, Mike, you, you really started to have an enormous impact on people and how when uh, you had that conversation with that woman you on your personal trust community who said you need to be more vulnerable. It's like our mutual friend Rich always says you can't give away what you don't have, but it's like you learn the power of maybe being vulnerable for yourself. And then you're able to give that a way to create a culture and an environment for somebody else, like you said, didn't have a lot of support, change the narrative and, and just a simple phrase, it's Brady time, you know, and, you know, it's beautiful, right. you know, the way you painted that picture of, we're not going for field goals anymore, we're going for touchdowns. And I, I have to imagine that that Brady time, that was connective tissue that, you know, whether it was phrased differently in other areas of the people you impacted, but that connective tissue was multiplied in the entire environment in which you impacted. Is that, is that fair? I mean, do you notice that as well? Yes. There, you know, there's multiple things. The, the better, you know, when you meet people, you meet them where they are. And the only way you can really do that is to understand them. There was a lady who worked for us who was really in a critical role. She didn't report directly to me, but she was in a very critical role, making sure all the systems tied together. And short story was she was frustrated with how she was not getting support Obviously, Yankee is a very complex, big corporation with a fundraising division, a retail division, international, online. I mean, we had you know, multiple people using similar resources. Well, she and I spent some time in our, in our office, and I really started to get to know her, understand her background, understand her passions and what she was really all about. And like most people, I think we've all had some sort of lived experience, something that is holding us back in life. Uh, mine obviously is with the adoption connection, but I feel like most people have something that they're not bringing their full self to work. And so when I spent a lot of time with her, I realized that her biggest passion was pottery and she kind of got away from it. And so long story short, she got back into pottery and one Christmas, maybe two years after this, we really started to build the business and gave her some more clarity in her role. And she started to really grow in the role where she dropped off at Christmas was a, a dish that she had made for me out of pottery and with a nice note with it. In essence, it was, you know, thank me for the time that we had given and giving her clarity and giving opportunity to go back to something she was very passionate about. And she said, I noticed that you have oatmeal in the mornings and I'm giving you this so it can keep it warm when you have it in the morning. Says what I was bringing wasn't going to keep it warm. And I just thought, boy, just those little things that you don't realize the impact you have, but her performance certainly had elevated not because her skills got any better, not because she got training or anything, just because she felt valued. She felt like she belonged, that she had her dignity back. 
And I feel like that is such a big deal that gets missed by leaders. And I just started seeing more and more of that kind of activity. I wasn't the best at it. It made my mistakes, but there was a lot of that that I saw that was very valuable. Absolutely, Mike. I mean, the, just the stories, the impact. I mean, just what you described about that woman. I mean, she'll remember you. I'm sure you still talk. Maybe I'm wrong, but those are moments in her life that she'll remember for the rest of her life. And well, the impact is monumental. Like it's not just a one-time thing. It, it carries through because you're able to help her see something about herself that maybe she couldn't see before. And that's just really special. It's funny you say that because when I was doing the Ironman event, she made a comment in there and just said, you are our Ironman. Just something I haven't really talked oh. in a long time. So it's just interesting. You're right. You just don't realize not just the impact of the moment, but just over time what happens. So, you know, it took me a while to figure this stuff out and it's always a work in progress, but it's uh, nice to see that some of the impact continues. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, you know, just to transition here and continue to build this story, you know, you were let go to bring us back to the center of the show. You, you were let go in this moment. It led you down this path of discovery and building this trust community for yourself and then you're able to bring that into your work with Yankee Candle. Since since Yankee Candle, you know, how is the career, you know, your path, you know, how, how have things progressed for you? And what are you doing today, right, as a way that's threaded all these experiences together? Because I know you're working on some really meaningful work, but I, I want to understand, you know, from you and have the audience understand what what is all this experience added up to? Because I think you're doing some pretty incredible things uh, that are in a foundation building mode that are going to have continue to touch people, but through your voice and what you're doing with your brand. So I would love for you to share with us what that looks like and, and what you're doing right now. So first, the one other step that's really critical was the final step. I was not feeling very well. I was very stressed. This is back in 2012, 2013, so six, seven years in the Yankee, making a lot of progress, but still not feeling like I was myself. You know, three beautiful daughters, my wife, we just had a what appeared to be a very good life, but I still wasn't myself. My doctor at the time said, I think you need to go see Christine Payne. And I said, who's Christine Payne? She said, she's a specialist in dealing with children who have been adopted at a very young age. Hmm. And spending time with her was the last piece of the puzzle for me, which was validation maybe is the wrong word, but it validated the fact that the reason I'm struggling with abandonment and the reason I struggle with trust and the reason I'm always worried about not being perfect is because of all the things that happen to a child who's put up for adoption at right at birth and then is in a in a home for five months and then gets adopted so all those things that the the baby doesn't get had impact on me that i didn't understand and it really helped me start to say there's nothing wrong with me it's what happened to me that i need to understand so that i can move forward and that was the final piece that really helped me move forward so then as that started a transition i still i still made the the decision brian to try to be someone who could run a company. Mm. So as a friend of mine, uh, Tim Dixon told me, he said, Mike, are you doing what you want to do or what you need to do? So to answer your question, I still spent the next uh, 
four, four plus years trying to do what I need to do versus what I want to do. And that is you feel like you need to validate yourself by having a title and making money versus doing what you really, really want to do. Mm. So I bring that into context because it's taken until before you and I had met that I started to realize working with Tim, who's someone else in my trust community, Tim has really, really been a big help to me from a, from a mindset standpoint. And I started to realize that how do I go about restoring human dignity to really unleash greatness in people and help them by creating these personal trust communities, I think is really the power that is missing. Uh, in other words, people go to work today, they have a job, but they're never giving their full self to the work. And I believe it's mostly because they don't believe they have human dignity and they don't believe the people they work for care about them in a meaningful way. And so they show up, they're compliant, they do their job, they get their paycheck. If you could ever sit down with these people and understand where they came from in their story, I'm completely convinced you can unleash greatness in them. And I'm currently right now, Brian, as you know, working as a chair for Vistage Worldwide. I'm very, very concerned about the social and economic status in this country. I think the fabric is tearing and has been for probably 20 plus years, if not more. And this win-lose environment that we teach in leadership is wrong. It needs to be much more others focused. And so the work I'm doing now is how do I have more impact mm. on leaders in communities, businesses, and teach them how powerful it would be if you would invest quality time trying to understand the people that work for you at a human level mm. and how that could accelerate the growth in the business and at the same time start paying attention to the community around you and the people around you. And I believe that'll elevate uh, a lot of things in this country. And unfortunately, I, th I believe most people look at the pillars of society and say, well, we're okay because the government's all right. The Boy Scouts are showing you that you can't have good leadership. The church, the Catholic church, uh, the Olympics, unfortunately, in the last several years, you're starting to see lack of a word of the corruption in all those particular areas that I mentioned, all those pillars that we all look to to make sure we're safe. And so I feel like it's really high time we start to really invest back into how we teach leadership. And it starts with a person. That's my belief. Interesting. You know, it, it's very holistic. And it's also, you know, you're saying, okay, at a macro level, with social and economic injustice, that's wrong. There's a lot of change that needs to happen within companies. Uh, in communities, but it starts with the individuals. And so by the nature of the work that you're doing, if you can kind of fix the person in a sense and, and the people behind who are leading, it can help start to unearth some of the fabric that you're talking about that might be unjust right now. Now, I want to back up for, for one quick second, and then I want to kind of leap forward to everything you just said. Yeah. You talked about the one step that you were, were missing into the work that you wanted to do versus what you needed to do. And you recognize that, you know, you, it sounds like you realized maybe internally that there was still some work like needed to be done to right. like, see that a person, the adoption specialist who could really maybe unlock some things for you. You had already done so much work. It sounded like, how did you know there was still maybe work to be done on yourself before you could go and do what you truly wanted to do. Because I think that's a really interesting insight 
uh, that led you to where you are right now? I think, Brian, you know, you can only do so much yourself. I mean, you're going to need people like I was beyond the point of just being able to manage this myself. And I realized that I've got this on paper. Everybody say, what a wonderful life you have. What a great you have friends. You have a family. You have a nice house. You, you have all the resources and all the support you would need. How could you be unhappy? And that's what really struck me was how why am I unhappy? Why am I still feeling like I like, why am I so stressed? What, what, what is going on? And so I. I, I think seeking the professional help I did, it wasn't like a year long thing, but it was enough to give me that insight to say, okay, there's a root cause of all this. And now I need to make sure I build all the tools to help me be able to go forward because it won't go away. I think it's mm. like anything, the trauma that's in there. And, and uh, as a, an older lady said to me one day, she said, Mike, if your thumb hurts, your thumb hurts. It's okay to complain about it. So my trauma may not be someone else's obviously, but I think trauma doesn't leave you. And there's still those moments when, you know, you're stressed or, or feeling worried and that abandonment comes back. The question is, how do you, how do you manage it? And knowing where it came from and why it's there and knowing it's probably going to stay there and knowing I got to work on managing it was why that step was so critical. And then the second piece was once I realized I need to figure out how to manage it, and I realize when I'm around the right kind of people, where I work, where I spend time, who I talk to on the phone, when I realize that those are the people that I spend most of my time with, I feel much happier, more fulfilled, and I feel like I can accomplish almost anything that I need to, and I can be a resource for others versus hanging around people that are very successful and I'm trying to compete with them or, or be worthy to them. And that just doesn't, doesn't work for me. I don't do well in those environments. So I think that was one of the big steps. Unfortunately for me, it took me a few more years and a few more steps to realize, why do you keep doing this? And I have to give a, a lady I got to know, Sheila. Uh, she said to me, she said, why are you going to work for these companies? You know, that's not who you are. So I think I started having people, Brian, around me in this trust me that were even recognizing in myself saying, why are you chasing these jobs that, yes, you're very capable of and, yes, you're very qualified to do instead of doing the work that you're really good at, which is getting people to elevate and building, helping them build their own trust communities and unleash their greatness. Like, how come you're not spending time on that? And it just took me a few more times before I realized, yes, I got to go do that. Mm, wow. You know, I, I just have the utmost amount of respect for you, Mike, because, you know, you had a family and competing priorities, you know, working and taking the time for yourself to be able to bring your fullest energy into this next chapter required you to, you know, solicit the work of help of others uh, so you could show up. You to, to unleash greatness for yourself in a way so that now you can help others unleash it for themselves, which I think is, is just, it's just so special and it's so aligned and, you know, you have so much credibility in the story and, and, and now that, that work you're doing today um, because of you've, you have that lived experience yourself. So yeah. let's get, let's get a little tactical here. I'm just yep. hyper curious. So if I'm a, you know, executive or let's just say i'm a everyday let's say i'm a 27 year old entrepreneur or, or you know aspiring leader 
how would you, you know, you've shared some steps earlier, but how do you help other people now go build these trust communities for themselves individually within organizations? You know, what, what does that look like? Well, the first step is people have to be ready. You know, a lot of people say they want to change or get better or what have you, but they've really got to be ready. And it's sort of the, you know, there's a lot in our heads and then you have your heart and you have your gut and the, the distance between your heart and your head is only 12 inches, but it's the hardest and longest 12 inches you could ever try to climb. So you got to be ready. And so anybody that calls that ask about, you know, they really want to, you know, really change or get better is sort of the typical way they come at it. I just first and foremost, try to understand their story. Cause if I don't know where they're coming from or where they started, so getting on their side is really, really important. So I just say, tell me your story. And it's, if somebody's ready and they really want to do this, they'll, they'll tell you things that they may not have shared with anybody in their whole life ever before, or very few people. And once that happens, you start to realize, okay, this is where they're coming from. This is what may be holding them back. That is really the key to unlocking anything because that tells you that a, the person is ready because they're sharing that. And B, you have a pretty good sense of what might be at the root cause of what's going on. And then from there, you start to, uh, what I call you, you could take a piece of paper, it's pretty rudimentary, um, and turn it horizontally. And on the left side, just put a rectangle together. And on the right side of the rectangle, and leave space in the middle. And I ask people to draw out sort of where they are today, both personally and professionally. Where are you and how are you doing? Like, what's going on? Most people have a very good sense of that, obviously. You can write it down pretty quickly. And on the other side is your North Star. And there are Surprisingly, many, many people, I had a young lady I was working with one time, and I asked her that question to lay out her North Star, and she said to me, she goes, you know, Mr. Thorne, I've never said this out loud, but my dream is to be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and I was going to say, great, and then she said, but I can't because I'm a female. But laying out those two, and then the middle you leave open, because typically what happens is people do that. They say, here's what my dream is, here's what I want to do personally and professionally, but they then go right back to why they can't. And we refer to that as head trash. That's just stuff in your head that you've told stories about yourself. But getting that clarity on those two things, the only way to get from the left to the right is to do the work. And as I mentioned earlier, life's a team sport. And my belief is having this personal trust community allows you to have the people help you navigate as you're going down that path because it's not easy. And so I use this analogy. It's like you got a trampoline and you're in the middle bouncing up down the trampoline, all your trust network is your trust communities around you. And they're making sure you stay in the center so you don't fall off. And because there's risk when you start moving down this road. And so that's what I, that's why I'm so passionate about building this trust community because those are the people all walks of your life, books you read, people you aspire to, people you're connected to. And I focus in on what I call the five areas of your, your life. And that is what are you doing physically, intellectually, emotionally, socially, and spiritually? Those are the five things, pies, as I refer to it as. If you can focus on those five areas and make sure you got people in those areas that are helping you, I believe you can get through anything in life. Mm. And the only trick, Brian, is this is where I find a lot of leaders or people that are considered gurus is they tell you this is the magic potion to make you successful in life. And what gets missed, in my view, is not everybody starts in the same place. 
I've worked with people that are in some very, very difficult circumstances financially. They don't have housing, what have you, all the way to people that are very wealthy. And so you can't just say, go do these five things and you'll be successful. I, th I think it depends on where you start and people start in different places. And we don't always take that into consideration when we're offering suggestions about how to get ahead in life and how to make this, you know, make the dream come true. And so by building a trust community, I think anybody can do it and anybody can start there. And I believe that is the foundation that helps you start to move down the road uh, to success in life. Mm. Mike, the, the process seems so intentional and guided and thought through. And I love how you ask people to open up with their story and share the North Star and then realize, OK, what's holding you back uh, from from getting there? And then, OK, how do I go find the people to to help? you know, me, me get through this. My, my question for you, and I, I just find similar to you, Mike, I think relationships are, are the most important thing and you should hold them close and take care of them. How, how do you know who to put in a trust community? How do, how do you know the people to put your inner circle around? Like when, when you're working with individuals, like what, how, how do you advise them on building that for themselves? The first thing is when you, I believe when you declare where you're going, and that's why I think that North Star is so important and may take three or four steps. Uh, you're going to laugh. My youngest daughter, I did, we work with her on, and I don't care if it's crayons or pencils. She did it, took her like three renditions, and she keeps it handy by her. But so really, once you declare where you're going, I believe people start showing up in your life. They just do. You know, the three most powerful words in life besides I love you are I need help. So to answer your question, that is really critical, get that North Star done. And when I lay this picture of these five circles in the middle says personal trust community and then the five circles around it, my experience has been people look at that and they start pointing to one or two of the circles. I had a person the other day said to me, you know, Mike, I've got this college friend of mine. And he said, I'm looking at that intellectual circle and he's, he's a business owner. And he said, look at that circle there. And I'm thinking I got a college friend of mine, very good friend. We get together fairly often. We joke about life and college and have a few beers and I go home. And he said, but what I'm listening to, what I'm realizing is he could actually be someone that I could share some concerns about my business. And he may have some very good ideas because he's a very successful business person. And he probably could help me navigate some of the personal challenges I'm dealing with in my family business. I just never thought of him that way. Or another lady said to me, you know, Mike, I, I, I think that I've got to figure out socially what I'm doing. And I said, tell me more. And she said, well, I have a lot of social friends, but I'm wondering, as I think about them, are they really serving me well? And she shared a story with me about an experience she had with them. And she said, I think by being around them, I can't get the behaviors I want. And I can't have that social connection I'm looking for. And I wonder if I ought to reconsider who I invest my time with, right? Doesn't mean you still can't be friends with them. Doesn't mean you're still not going to be friends like that. You can have all kinds of friends, but the people that are in this uh, trust community got to be those people that, you know, when you go to them, they drop everything and they're listening to hear you, not just listening and say, yeah, it sounds good. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You got to go. Cause that's not what you need to hear in that situation. So I think, A, you once you declare where you're going, people start showing up in your life. And then you have to slowly because it's not easy for people because they haven't done it before and they're afraid and nervous is to think about in which of those circles do you feel like you have the best opportunity to find someone who will be most likely 
to be a resource for you so you can get comfortable with it. So I would pick that area. Like that gentleman said to me, I'm going to go find my friend that I you know, went to college with as a great business. I'm going to go there first. And then he had a second one he thought would be helpful. So he's got two. And I would bet you over time, once he gets comfortable, he's going to start realizing how powerful it is and start finding other people. And I believe over time, he'll start elevating in his business. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it really does. You know, and I think what's so interesting, Mike, is just the fact that like the thread I'm hearing is, and maybe the implicit that it wasn't explicit is, is really making people question the relationships in their own life and if they're serving them. And I think sometimes we go through life so quick and there's just people in our world and we never take stock of, you know, who's around us and why, and if it's maybe mutually beneficial, um, not that relationships should be transactional, but the fact that like, are, are the people in my life, like serving highest and best use of my goals and aspirations? And am I doing that for them too? And I think it's so easy to get blinded and go through life and not realize the people in your life who, who aren't maybe showing up in the same way you're showing up for them and, and, and keeping them in your world. And, um, I just think there's a lot of value in the process of just going through what you outlined, designed, and are helping, you know, very incredible people do for themselves. And, and it, it's such a level of intentionality that I've never heard about. And I just, it, it's so special to me. Think about Brian, how much time people spend to get their wedding together and all the details they do, or you, you work at a company you spend all this time putting the strategy together and the prep work for the board meeting and, the big sales event and all this detail and intentional work on it. And yet when you come to your own personal self, which is the most important thing, because if you can't show up for yourself and you can't bring your best self to them, what are you doing? Like, you know, you, you just, so people, and I didn't do a very good job of this very early. I mean, I even had my wife and I were challenged one time in our relationship and we ended up spending time with someone who, really helped me understand that I may see things a certain way and I may feel like, Hey, we're fine. We're going to be safe. Everything's great. But I have to understand that my wife sees things very differently and her risk tolerance is different. So I have to get on her side and say, okay, how is she viewing the world and how I make sure I'm there for her. So I think both personal profession, we spend so little time thinking about all this and yet everything else we plan is so organized and so detailed. And yet the one that's so important is our own selves and our personal relationships, and yet those are the two areas, yourself and your personal relationships, which can drive your energy down. And so I just, I really took a long road to get there, Brian, and I chose to get my MBA in life versus getting an MBA in college and business, and I feel very blessed to have had the opportunity to be around some amazing people, and I wouldn't be here without all their support and help and advice. And it's now time for me to be even more intentional and give back as much as I can while I'm here on earth. Cause I, I've still got a lot of years left ahead of me and I want to leave the world in a better place than it is today. And, and I, and I have no doubt that you're at the, just, you know, very beginning of the massive amount of impact you'll have through your own voice, but you've been doing it for years already and you're just yeah. doing it maybe a little more scalably right now. And um, I'm, I'm excited for you, Mike. I'm excited to see you out there and, and just keep hearing the stories that you share with, share with me directly about how you feel on certain days or about what's going on and how, how you feel you're doing things in alignment. And it's just, 
it's it's special. It's special to see and be a part of in certain ways, and I'm just proud proud of you. Uh, I want to, Mike. I want to do one more question here. Yeah. And uh, then we'll let you go. When you think about legacy, or you say at your funeral, you know, what what is the thing that either you know you want to have left behind, or that you would love for someone to stand up and say about you? I've never thought about this question, but just thinking about it out loud now, I actually have this vision in my head, believe it or not. I'd, I'd like it when people would be talking and they're meeting people they don't know, but they all have similar stories about me because that speaks to my consistency as a human being and my genuous as a person. So I'd, I'd like to think at over time that people that don't know me, but obviously they knew me, but they don't know other people at this funeral and they get introduced to all these people. And when they share their stories of my life or whatever, they're consistently talking about, you know, how I was always willing to share and give whatever I had whenever they needed it. And it's just consistently across a lot of people. There's probably some funny stories about things I'm not very good at, which is a long list, obviously. But again, just the consistency of points of view, because I'm an acquired taste, Brian. You know, I'm not always uh, the easiest guy to figure out, but I would just want the consistency of point of view, because that means I was authentic uh, throughout my life as best I could. And people, I guess I'd feel good that people saw that. Wow, Mike, I think that is a way to end and such a treasured interview uh that i just i got so much out of and i know the people listening the people in your world mike will be impacted i think and touched uh just the heart that you brought to the conversation what you're doing the just how your career shaped you in the way it's you know not just you, you what we didn't talk as much about is how you care as a husband and a father and yeah. who you are on the personal side it might be around too for us yeah uh, but it's just really, really cool, Mike. And um, it's been such a pleasure. So thank you. Where, where can people find you if they're interested? Right now, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. I'm in the process of working on a website and other social media activities, as you well know. Right now, LinkedIn is where I spend the majority of my time. So feel free to look me up at LinkedIn and ask me any questions you want. I'll do the best I can to help wherever I can here. And thank you for all you do, Brian, and for the work you've done on my behalf and for the work you guys do for people. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive a written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.